Welcome back to She Is Becoming. We are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's word together, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You can find our episodes on culture, doctrine, church history, and more on whatever podcast platform you typically use. And make sure that you follow our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you can get notifications when we post a new episode, which is every other Monday. If you follow us on Instagram at She's Becoming Podcast, you can also get additional episode resources and engage with us on there. Well, I am your co-host Delaney, and I am here in the studio with my co-host Bev. Good morning, Delaney. Great to see you. Great to see you. Great to have our visitors in the room today, isn't it? We have kind of two little visitors, actually. Well, well, one little visitor. One little visitor. One grown-up visitor. One grown-up. That's much better than (laughs) what I said. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So today we have in the studio uh, Jeff Verdorn, Mm -hmm. and um, this is the concluding episode on the book of Daniel, Mm -hmm. and so... Delaney, we had to call in the expert, didn't yeah, we? We, we had so to call did. in the expert. We so did. We have Jeff Verdorn in the studio with us this morning, and Jeff is married to his wife, Julie. Dear woman, love her. She live, They live in Eden Prairie. They have three grown children and two grandchildren. They're the best, aren't they, Jeff? I love my kids. Oh, mm-hmm. man. And love my grandkids. Oh, I know. It's just amazing. Uh, Jeff attends Grace Church in Eden Prairie, where he has been teaching various Bible studies for almost 25 years. His favorite topics to teach include end times, creation, salvation, and the believer's assurance of salvation. A lot of big, important topics, yeah. huh, Delaney? Mm. Yeah. Just a just, yeah, just yeah, sort just, of deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort, sort of, of important, deep, foundational sort of. to our faith. Yeah. Uh, and right now, Delaney, he is teaching a class entitled Seven Scriptures to Know by Heart, a study of seven themes from the New Testament using seven different passages. He's also taught a worldview and culture course at Southwest Christian High School in Chaska, Minnesota for several years. I wonder if I've taken that. Hmm. I don't well, know. You took uh, my end times class, actually. When I was in high I school, I went to Southwest Christian and they let me do an independent study and I took his class twice. So he was like my teacher for two years. In Revelation? Now I'm a little rusty. <laughs> Please don't quiz me, teacher. Okay. <laughs> that revelation, several years. That revelation is a lifetime of study. Yes. <laughs> yes. Really but is. I have all my notes. It was great. Yeah. Well, Jeff, um, we always like to ask a signature question to our guests and to each other uh, mm-hmm. as well. What has God been saying lately to you as you've been in his word and yes. what is he changing your heart or speaking to you you know how he does that in stereo how it's mm-hmm. just you keep hearing this kind of theme over and over again so jeff what's god been whispering in your ear someone was just telling me that they were studying a particular issue or part of scripture and that it seemed like every article or every program they were listening to a bible teacher that idea that concept was coming up over and over again and it's like that was your idea of in stereo god yes. will often bring things up over and over to kind of help drill it into our minds mm-hmm. right? i agree mm-hmm. um one of the issues that i've had as a as a sunday school teacher i don't know about expert uh, maybe just sunday school we teacher. can say, we, we, we can think say you're that. an expert uh, yeah. totally overruled on that so, one <laughs> so uh, I often get emails from folks, hey, Jeff, what do you think about this idea or this doctrine or this um, particular passage or whatever? Well, I've been in an email discussion with a guy, and it's a very interesting concept that I've really kind of been battling with him about, and that is whether or not there are basically two cra- classes of Christians or just one class of Christian. Hmm. Are there some Christians who 
do enough good works who inherit and rule in the coming kingdom, and then those who don't do enough good works and just enter the kingdom of heaven, but don't have an inheritance, don't rule and reign with Christ, and so on. And it's kind of setting up this two-class Christianity. So I've been wrestling with all of the passages in Scripture, and by the way, this comes up often. Yeah, I'm just thinking of them myself yeah, as you mentioned this. That as a as a believer in Christ, we are have been baptized by one Spirit, one faith, one Lord. Mm-hmm. We have one, one inheritance. We're mm-hmm. one church. We're all children of God who have believed in Him, and we have this inheritance. Right. And this promise of our inheritance is to all who believe. And I think that's a very important Uh, understanding from Scripture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Boy, I can see how you could wrestle through that one for a long time. Keep us posted on that. We may have to have you back on that topic. I know, that would be interesting. You can tell us the answer then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think every Christian, you know, it says that he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have a life. There's only two types of people in this world, those who have been born again and will see the kingdom of God, and those who who are not, Mm. those who have life and those who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. So I believe there's two classes of people. I'm not going to divide the Christian class into two more classes, kind of a first-class Christianity and the coach Christianity, if Mm -hmm. you will. Um, No, I'm not going to do that. All who are in Christ are united with him, seated with him in the heavenly realms, Mm. and have an inheritance that can never spoil or perish or fade, kept in heaven for us, shielded by God's power until that day. And we all get there the same way, don't we? We do. Mm. <laughs> Amen. So, I think so podcast over, guys. That yeah. was fantastic. <laughs> I'm like, whoo, I love that. All right. Well, that was uh, a meaty, even his response to yeah. that is so Yeah, that, that tells profound. you a lot about him so, as a person. So yes. listen up. Mm-hmm. We've got something special for you here yes. today. Well, let's start, Jeff, with, um, you know, just some of your general thoughts on the book of Daniel. We want you to just go ham now. This is your time. Mm-hmm. Well, Daniel is an amazing book. I know there are many studies about the character aspects of Daniel, and there's so much to learn from the character, the person of Daniel. I like to focus on the prophetic parts of Daniel. When I think of Daniel, I think of prophecy, not only future prophecy, as we'll see today, but fulfilled prophecy, provable predictions that have been fulfilled in history. Daniel has so much prophecy that has been fulfilled so precisely that many have said, well, this couldn't have been written by Daniel at the time that he wrote it because it's predicting the future, and there's there's really no one who can predict the future with such accuracy. Right. Well, there is no one who can do it. There is a God who can do it, and uh, and that's exactly what we see in Scripture. So the prophetic parts of Daniel, start even starting in Daniel chapter 2, remember Nebuchadnezzar, and I don't remember what you guys are, I, I haven't heard all what you've talked about in Daniel so far, so if I'm repeating something, let me know. Oh, we need review, please okay. go mm-hmm. ahead. <laughs> so in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this statue, right? Mm-hmm. Well, all of his, you know, astrologers and soothsayers, none of them can tell him what the dream means because he demanded that you tell him what he dreamed, and what the interpretation is. And everybody's setting said, them up for failure. That's right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And they say, well, nobody can do that. Well, they hear of Daniel. Daniel comes to the king and he says, well, the king says to him, so I hear you can do this. And I love his response. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. Right? He says, no, mm-hmm. king, I can't do that. But there's a God in heaven mm-hmm. who can. 
right? And so Daniel understands where his ability, where his power Mm -hmm. to tell the king his dream and to interpret it comes from, and that's from the Lord. At risk to to himself, really. I think Mm -hmm. the king could have said, well, if you can't do it, then I don't believe in your God. Off with your head. Well, and we have stories like that in Scripture where if you can't tell me what I, you know, what I want to hear and how I want to hear it, you're all going to die. So he begins to tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream. He said, oh, you saw a statue and it had a head of gold and chest and arms of silver and belly and thighs of bronze and legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. And then there's this rock, this rock not cut out of human hands, and it strikes the statue and destroys it all. And so Nebuchadnezzar then asked for the interpretation, and Daniel proceeds to tell him, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head. You are the kingdom of this head of gold. Your kingdom has, is great, but there's another kingdom that's going to come along, and that's the chest and arms, and that is going to be the Medo-Persian Empire. Mm-hmm. And in fact, very shortly after this dream, the Medes and the Persians are going to come in and attack and take over this nation of Babylon uh, and, and fulfill this part of the prophecy. The belly and thighs of bronze is going to be the Greek Empire, Another kingdom is going to arise, and in fact, in Daniel 11, we'll talk about that in just a second, Alexander the Great, the head of the Greek Empire, is actually named, not by named, but described, that this young king will come along, that his kingdom will be divided into four, and then there'll be these battles between the north and the south and the east and the west. This is one of the parts in Daniel 11 where where some will say, well, there's no way that a book written hundreds of years before the event could so precisely predict the events that, it's, yeah, that right. are going to happen. The yeah. young death, the, the four divisions the gen- in, in yeah, the Greek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then he says the legs and iron are another kingdom that will arise, and most prophecy scholars agree that the legs of iron is the Roman Empire that arises. And then we have this final kingdom, the feet of iron mixed with clay. clay. And it's a future kingdom, and this is probably the most debated kingdom. Um, I think Scripture points to the fact that this is going to be a future kingdom, the future kingdom of the Antichrist that is going to uh, arise in the last days, in the end days. And the ten toes of this future kingdom match some of the symbolism that is in Revelation, uh, the ten horns also in Daniel, and so on. And so this future kingdom is going to come upon the world um, so you can see that of this statue, much of the statue has already been fulfilled, mm-hmm. but there's still a component of it that is yet to be fulfilled. And then finally, of course, we have this rock. Mm-hmm. And he says this rock symbolizes a kingdom that will have no end. Yeah. Well, who's mm-hmm. the rock in Scripture? S- so symbolic. It is. Mm-hmm. And so Christ is going to return at his second coming. This is Revelation 19 stuff, right? They see the Son of Man, Matthew 24, the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Revelation 19, he's going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and he'll set up his kingdom for a thousand years on earth, destroying all of the other earthly kingdoms. That's a key part in oh. Daniel, isn't it? Yeah. It's like how many of us as Christians today when we hear this word, when we look at government today, and it's like, man, does anybody know of a righteous king who could come and rule this place in truth and righteousness and justice? And we all long for that. We do. But we have a promise of that, don't we, Jeff? We do. And that one day he will come back 
and he will rule and reign on earth. That's why in the Lord's Prayer we say, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know, there are many different views of prophecy. One of the views is that there's no future earthly kingdom of Christ, no millennial reign coming in the future. Amillennialist. Correct. Mm-hmm. It's generally called amillennialist or mm-hmm. amillennialism. That awe in, in Latin means no, so no millennium. And the, the idea goes that we are in that kingdom right now. When Jesus went up to heaven in Acts chapter 1, his kingdom began, mm-hmm. and that we are in the kingdom right now. Well, there's many passages in the Old Testament about this future kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I read my newspaper today, and this doesn't look anything doesn't like. Line up, yeah. No, it just mm-hmm. doesn't line up. And besides, this kingdom, if it's been going on, has been going on for two thousand years. Mm. Scripture indicates that the future millennial kingdom will last a thousand years on earth. So this is not the kingdom now. We obviously are participants in His kingdom. Right. We are citizens of heaven today. We are ambassadors in a in a foreign country, if you will, this earth in this land. And so we, we see the imagery in scripture that we are really heavenonians. Mm. Now that's, that's oh, not I in scripture. The, that's a new is word that for me. Language? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> our citizenship <laughs> yeah. is in heaven. We are heavenonians. We that's are. first and foremost, our citizenship. So we are participants of this kingdom, but we are today on earth in a, we are strangers mm. and aliens in this world. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so Daniel comes along and says, here's the, here's the, uh, the dream you had. Here's the interpretation, and Daniel is is very favored. Well, we go to chapter four of Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar has another dream where there's this giant tree and it's cut down. This prophecy is also fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar's fact that he was this gold head on this large statue kind of goes to his head and his pride really gets to him. And God mm-hmm. basically says, I'm going to cut you down, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to leave the stump, but one, only, it will start growing again only once you acknowledge me, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and we kind of know the story. He becomes like some kind of animal. Yeah. Insane animal. Yeah. Yes. He loses his sanity. Until... Mm-hmm. He finally acknowledges the God of heaven, Mm -hmm. and then he's restored in a way. Then in Daniel 5, we have the writing on the wall. This is actually uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son who sees this famous writing on the wall that basically your kingdom's going to come to an end. That happens. Daniel 7, we have a prophecy for these four animals. Well, when you look at the prophecy of these four different creatures, they are also four kingdoms that are to come, and they line up perfectly with the earlier image of the statue. Yes, it, it's it's reiterated. It is. So we have the the lion, the bear, the leopard and this dreadful and terrifying beast, which again is Rome, but there's also a portion of this dreadful and mm-hmm. terrifying beast which is also yet future. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have a future kingdom. So we're we're picking up more of this idea that there's going to be a future time that comes on the earth where there's a future kingdom. We don't know anything about else about it. We don't know anything about the Antichrist. We don't have the book of Revelation yet. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything. But we're just getting a clue from God now that there's going to be a period of time where there's this dreadful and terrifying kingdom that comes. All right. Then finally, well, actually, two more. Daniel 8, we have a ram and a goat. Once again, it fits into the prophecies of the, the statue and of these four creatures that Daniel sees and the ram being Medo and Persia, the goat being Greece. 
And we get to Daniel 9, and that's where we're going to spend our time today, because Daniel 9 has got to be the most amazing prophecy in all of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Because not only does the prophecy in Daniel 9 tell us the timing of the coming Messiah the first time, and and a lot of Christians don't know this, right? Mm -hmm. We tend to know that there are prophecies for where the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Christmas we, helps us with that. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, right? Yeah. We know, although he was most likely not born in December, but every year we celebrate right, his birth right, and right. we always mm-hmm. talk about Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Right. Well, that's an Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah will be born out of Bethlehem. There's Old Testament prophecies that say the, the Messiah will be a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, both Mary and Joseph were from the line of David, that he would be born of a virgin, and Jesus was surely born of a virgin, that he would come out of Egypt. Jesus came out of Egypt when he fled the persecution of Herod. He'd be called a Nazarene. He'd have a ministry in Galilee. He'd speak in, in parables that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, these are all Old Testament prophecies for the coming Christ, right? Oh, and there are so many more. Uh, there's there's close to 100 yes. on my list. I know some say 109, some yes. say more. There's different counting, but still, yeah. the, it's a lot. It's a lot. The unique, individual, direct prophecies for the coming Christ is all over the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and Jesus fulfilled them all. But Daniel 9 tells us when the Messiah is going to come. And we will look at that here today. Um, one last prophecy, we have the kind of the vision that Daniel has in 10, and it goes into 11 and 12. And this is, we were talking about this, alluding to this a little bit earlier. Um, this is where Alexander the Great's kingdom, and his being divided into four, and then the kings of the north, the Seleucid kingdom, east, west, south, and so on, are all divided up. We also have the prophecy for this coming, uh, the eighth Seleucid king, the kingdom on the north, and his name is Antiochus Epiphanes, a very interesting character. He set up an abomination in the temple in in his day, 167 BC, I can't remember exact date, but right around there. And then chapter 11 talks about this future king, but then it immediately goes to another future king, which is the future king of this coming kingdom, this dreadful and terrifying kingdom, and this ruler who is going to be the the ruler of this future kingdom. Most prophecy scholars understand that to be a picture of the future Antichrist who will Mm. come upon the world. Mm -hmm. All right, so we have fulfilled parts of Daniel prophecy. We have unfulfilled parts of Daniel prophecy. And finally, just one last word in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel I think, received even more information about this coming end times. Mm. But he's told Daniel, seal this up. Right. Seal this up. Mm -hmm. It's not yet. This is a time that's coming in in the far distant future. Yeah. But then what does John see at the very beginning of the book of Revelation? He sees a scroll in the hand of God sitting on the throne, and the only one worthy— to come and take that scroll out of his hand is Christ himself. Mm. Now he sees the scroll and these seals being opened and the scroll unfurls. Now 
John is going to receive a vision in chapters 7 through 19, 21 really, of the future events that Daniel is told to seal up. John now sees the seals being opened and the scroll being opened and tells us what's all going to come upon the world. That's all the detail in the book I of love that. I, I love how scripture supports itself and how it's all one story. It all fits together. So mm-hmm. often we separate Old Testament stuff with New Testament, you know, good news, um, but it all fits together mm-hmm. so beautifully. Only yes. God could write a book like this over, what, 4,000 years or whatever. Yeah. In my end times class, I often describe it as, if you want to understand God's plan for the end of the age, you need to approach it like a puzzle. There are pieces of the puzzle all over Scripture. You can't just go to the book of Revelation. Mm. You can't just go right. to Matthew 24. You just can't go to Second Thessalonians 2. You just can't go to Daniel 9. Um, you have to look at what all the Bible says about God's plan for the end of the age and piece the pieces of the puzzle together to paint the picture. And Daniel's a big piece, isn't it? Mm. So in my end times class, you know what <laughs> lesson number one is? Daniel. Daniel chapter oh, 9. I still have the notes in the margin of my Bible from eight years ago of when we talked about this and we talked about that. Oh, my goodness. That's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, all right. All right. Do we want to go back now to, um, you know, we, we just mentioned chapter 9. You've said how important it is. So give us a detailed overview of why this chapter is so important. Well, it is um First of all, as you start Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is in Babylon. Remember, he's been taken to Babylon as a, as a captive when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians uh, invaded and took over Israel, brought, uh, well, I like to call them Rakshak and Benny, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. if you know the VeggieTales. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. I worship the bunny. Yeah, the, the bunny. bunny. Oh, I mm-hmm. love VeggieTales. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Daniel and a, a, a bunch of others, but the f- story really focuses on Daniel. So Daniel is in Babylon. And it says that he is reading from the scriptures the prophecy in Jeremiah that their desolation Mm -hmm. would last 70 years. Mm -hmm. Okay? So first and foremost, I just want to point out, what is Daniel doing? He's studying biblical prophecy. Mm -hmm. Right? He's reading Jeremiah, which says this, The whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon, for 70 years. That's Jeremiah 25, verse uh, verse 11. And clearly that was written before this all happened. Correct. So remember, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, was trying to get Israel to listen to God and obey him, and they, they weren't. And Jeremiah then predicts this judgment that would come upon Israel because of their disobedience. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first part of Daniel is this long prayer yeah. where Daniel, understanding this, by the way, I'm, one other verse He also says in Jeremiah 29 that this is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to you and bring you back to this place, the land of Israel. So Daniel is understanding, hey, the 70 years are about to end. I'm going to read and understand this prophecy literally and understand that God meant what he said. And therefore, we are about to return to Israel. And he's right. And so he begins to pray to God. One part of this prayer, you can read it offline. um, It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Beautiful prayer. A lot of lessons in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the parts is that we have sinned against you, Mm. God. Mm. 
we have we have not followed your decrees, your ways. Remember, God mm-hmm. gave Moses a set of commands that says, Israel, I want you to be different from all the other nations. I want you to be set apart from them, right? And so I'm going to give you a bunch of laws that are going to make you live differently from the rest of the world mm-hmm. to be a light for me so that the ma- nations may know that that I am the Lord. Yeah. In the same way, we as Christians in this time have been set apart by God. We're supposed to live a holy and pleasing life to him and let our light shine before men. So what? So that people may know that he is the Lord. It's kind of the same, same. So he's studying scripture and he recognizes that this is the judgment from God. The 70 years are about to end and they are about to turn away. So that part of the prayer is that all Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses have now come upon us. And so that's what he recognizes. And he includes himself in this. Even yeah. though he is such a righteous character in Scripture, we, we really don't find any faults in him. However, you know, when you live in a sinful world and you yourself are a sinner from Adam on, we are all by nature and choice sinners. He includes himself here. And, and I think that sometimes we're always pointing the finger at others and praying for them. But we got to realize we're a part of this culture, too. We, we too, can confess the sins mm-hmm. as our own uh, in our nation. Yeah, absolutely. So he's praying at the end of his prayer. Gabriel shows up. Wow. The angel Gabriel shows yeah. up. Yeah. Never happened to me. Yeah. Delaney? Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, no. last night? No. no. <laughs> and he he says, Daniel, you're wonderful. Loved your prayer. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And God is very pleased. And God is now going to show you uh, the next judgment that is going to come upon Israel. Mm. All right? Do you, you have Daniel 9 open. I do. Can you read this next judgment? We're going to read it. It's It's... At first glance, it's going to appear so cryptic, but we're going to break it down and so that we can understand this most amazing prophecy in Scripture. So start in verse 24 where it says 77s or 70 weeks. I don't know what your version says. Okay. And go through 27. Okay. 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time that the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and six two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many of one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering At the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay, that's easy. Yeah, (laughs) that's really clear. It's just clear, clear (laughs) language. Help, Jeff. I know. There's just a lot there, isn't there? But it's it's a gem. It's worth the mining it out, isn't it? It really is. We we can't skip over passages like this. Mm -hmm. No. Pure gold here. It's 
we are going to see that there's really two parts to this prophecy. The first part of the prophecy, which is the first 69 sevens, and we'll talk about what a seven is, or in your Bible it might also say weeks. Um, and then we have this final seven at the end of this prophecy. The first part is the timing for the coming of the anointed one. So when is the Messiah going to come the first time? So that's the first part of the prophecy. The last part of the prophecy is the framework for a future seven-year tribulation in which we have this character of the Antichrist, this ruler who is to come. They destroyed the city and the sanctuary and so on. So it sets the framework for a future seven-year tribulation that comes, by the way, as we'll see, after the Messiah is cut off and after the destruction of the temple. Okay, So that's very important because some see a tribulation period that coincides with the time period uh, of the destruction of the temple, basically 66 to 70 AD, and that all the stuff in Matthew 24 and actually all the stuff in the book of Revelation yes, yes. was fulfilled in and around 70 AD. Yeah. That's called preterism. Yes. They see all of the events of Revelation as being past preterist. Mm -hmm. I think Scripture confirms that the events of Revelation— as described here in Daniel 9 in the prophecy for a future seven-year period, are yet future. Mm. So that is one big distinction or, or debate within Christianity. Are the events in Revelations past, historical, or are they yet future? You know, it's very helpful to hear you talk about the two events, because it's one paragraph here in my Bible, and I think you can read this and you can think it's all one happening, and you're very confused. So I appreciate you broke it down into the two events Huge events, Christ coming to earth, and then the kingdom of the Antichrist. Correct. Okay. All right. So let's Got see. it. What's Laney, you got that? I, I'm wrapping my head around. Yes. <laughs> I think I need a chart. <laughs> I know. Well, he's got good charts. Yes. So first we need to understand what is a seven or what is a week, right? It says 77s have been decreed for your people. Well, let's define a seven. Let's define what that is. Now, if you struggle with math... The next few minutes might be a little tough because we're going to talk about a lot of numbers. It's so slow. I know. It's yeah. really not that hard, but it's just kind of new to us because sure. we're not used to talking about a seven. Right. We're used to As a means of measurement. Correct. Okay. We are, we're used to talking about, if I gave you an example from what we're used to, a decade. Hmm. We know what that is. Yeah. It's 10 years. Yeah. If I said seven decades, you'd know that 70 years. Or a yeah. generation, Boom. 40. Yeah. If... if yeah, there's different generations. Oh, don't in, confuse yeah, me. Know, okay. Know, right. 40 years. I Another used to think time. it was 10 years, a generation, so I don't You're really too know. Young. Yeah. You're too young. You're too young. That's why. So <laughs> the 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 definition of, of a seven, the, the Hebrew word here is a shabua, and one of the principles of Scripture is that often Scripture will interpret Scripture. So what is a shabua? Well, let's go see where this word was used for the first time. Well, do you remember the story of Rachel and Leah? And, uh, and, and uh, Jacob wants to marry, I always forget which one he wanted to marry wanted first, to marry Leah. Rachel. 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 Yeah. And so he works seven years mm -hmm. to get Rachel, but Laban does the old switcheroo on his wedding night, and mm -hmm. he gives him the older one first, Leah, right? Right. And it's like, With what weak eyes. I know it. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, we have the passage where it says, Jacob goes to Laban and says, what have you done? You, you cheated me out. No, we never give the younger one first. Work another 
Shabua, mm. another Shabua, and I will give you the other one also. And so Jacob worked another seven years to win also Rachel. All right. So a Shabuah, a bridal week is what it's called in English in, in the Old Testament there in Genesis, is a seven-year period of time. Mm. Okay? So we get a day seven is a week. That's why some English Bibles translate this as a week, but it's not a week. It means seven. Shabuah just means seven. Mm. All right. So, so it could be seven days, it could be 70 years, it could be seven years? Correct, but we're going to see these as years, and it will okay. become clear why. Okay. But 77s, or another way to say it would be 77-year periods, have been decreed for your people. So 77-year periods, 70 Shabuas, is 490 years. Mm-hmm. There's the math. Everybody got right. that? Yep. 70 mm-hmm. times I 7. I remember my mm-hmm. tables. Yeah, is 490 <laughs> years. So all the start of this prophecy is saying that we're going to establish is that God is saying 490 years have been decreed for your people. Interestingly, by the way, a side note, why 490 years? Daniel just had a judgment of 70 years that's coming to an end, right? Right. Leviticus says, God says to Israel, I'm going to judge you. And the 70 years of judgment is the first judgment. If you still don't listen to me, I'm going to judge you seven times over. Hmm. Well, what's seven times over of 70 years? 490 years. God told Israel the first judgment will be 70 years. If you still don't listen to me, I'm going to judge you again 490 years. Hmm. Daniel is now receiving the second judgment from God that is going to come upon Israel. Wow. That that's totally new. <laughs> yeah. Does Woo-hoo. scripture fit together or oh, what? Oh my oh, goodness. Yeah. It's it's right. just incredible. Continue. I'm just eating this up. How about you, Delaney? Oh, oh yeah. This yeah. is this is why we needed you to come yes, on here. We did. <laughs> we did. You're adding these things that help us tie this all together. Mm-hmm. Beautiful way. Cool. Thank you. Second, who's the judgment for? Well, it clearly states that it's for his people and his holy city. So this is for Israel. Mm-hmm. This judgment is not for the church. It's not for anybody else. It's for Israel. By the way, just a side note, we're not going to talk about kind of the rapture and the timing of the rapture and so on, but this is a big clue about the rapture. If the church wasn't here during the first part of this judgment, before Christ came, the first 69 sevens of this judgment, the church is not going to be here for the last seven-year period, the last tribulation, as we call it, the what's called Daniel's 70th seven of judgment. That final week where the kingdom comes, where the dreadful and terrifying mm-hmm. kingdom and the Antichrist and all this. The church wasn't here for the first part of the judgment upon Israel. The church is not going to be here for the last part of this judgment, which is yet future. Do you see that? That's a great little note there. That's yeah. a, mm-hmm. a well, little mm-hmm. clue. This is, again, how you tie scripture together. It's so helpful. It's so helpful. It supports each, it's each other, you know, the revelation, now the Daniel and the time period. History mm-hmm. is supporting this. Absolutely. All right, so we know who it's for. Next point is, when does it begin? Okay, so he's given us this timeline. When he's, does what begin? When does the, the, the prophecy that we just heard, when does it start? He said, from 
the issuing of the about decree. M- Messiah coming now? Yes. Or the, uh, yes, for the 70 weeks. Okay. I'm not making a distinction yet between okay. the first and second. It's just when does this whole prophecy start? When does the 77s begin? Well, the passage says from the issuing of the decree to, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's the starting point. Okay. Until the Messiah comes. Now, here's the, the first part of the prophecy, right? That's okay. the first part. Right. So there's the end of this first part of the prophecy, there will be 69 sevens. It says, it says seven sevens and 62 sevens, but I'm going to just add those together. That's 69 sevens. Okay. So follow me mm-hmm. from the starting point to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until so the, this mes- is when they returned and they rebuilt Jerusalem. Uh, yes. Hang on to that thought okay. yet. Not yet. I'm just saying, when is the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem? When's that starting point? We don't know that yet. Okay, right? you're right. So until the Messiah comes, there will be 69 sevens, or 483 years. So look what God has done. He's told us the starting point of this prophecy. He told us how long the prophecy was going to be. And he says at the end of that, the Messiah was going to come. Mm-hmm. Okay? So now someone may ask, well, wait a minute. If I know when the starting point is, and I know how long it's going to be, I can tell you when the Messiah is going to come. So our next question should be, okay, when was that decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem? And do you suppose that decree is in Scripture or not? Um, I want to say yes. Cyrus? Good guess. No. All right. So is there, it not? So there are. I don't there know are, either. Very good. There's <laughs> this actually, is why we have him here yeah, at Delaney. Yeah. Okay. So in the two books of the Bible— where Israel is now going to return from Babylon back to Israel. That is, you just mentioned Cyrus. So we have Ezra, the book of Ezra, and the book of Nehemiah. These are the two books that describe Israel's return, return. Right. to Israel. Right. Okay. Oh. There are actually five different decrees in those two books. So we have to go through and look at each one and decide which one is the decree that matches the Daniel 9 prophecy. Do you okay? know which one it is? We do. So let's let's cut through all of the research and get to the bottom line. The Cyrus decree in Ezra chapter 1, some believe that is the decree, but the Cyrus chapter 1 decree is to go and rebuild the temple. The prophecy oh. says from the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So building the walls was early. So that's that yes. Nehemiah? That's, yeah. Nehemiah? that's Nehemiah. Yeah. So we go to Nehemiah chapter 2. And you guys remember the story. Nehemiah, this cupbearer, is really yeah. sad before the king, Artaxerxes. And why are you so sad, Nehemiah? Because, because the city of my forefathers lies in ruins. Yeah. And so the king gives him a decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem. You see that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I never piece those things together. Yeah, so in Nehemiah chapter 2, we have a decree from Artaxerxes to Nehemiah to go and rebuild Jerusalem, including its gates and city walls and residences. Do you Mm -hmm. remember that? Yeah, which was crazy that he even let him do that. It it is. I love the story of Mm -hmm. Nehemiah. Side note. It is. It's a great story. Oh, and here's this cupbearer 
servant to the king, and he is now going to go. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you can actually Mm -hmm. go see some of the ruins of some of the walls that Nehemiah and the people that returned with him actually built. Okay, so two different events, building the city and then building the temple. Correct. So that's why there's this numbered variation there by a few years. There is. There are some that say it's one and others say it's another. There's actually, like I said, five decrees. The other decrees, by the way, are... Uh, decrees to stop work on the temple then to restart work on the temple and so on. Yeah. None of those are a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Right. right. <clears throat> Bottom line, Nehemiah chapter two, mm-hmm. I think is the decree that Daniel was referring, that God was referring to that came years later. So now the question is, when was that decree? Well, we actually know from history that the kingdom and the kingship of Artaxerxes, when it started and when this decree was, because scripture gives us enough information to tell us. So in March, many scholars have said specifically March 14th. Even the month? Yes. Wow. It actually describes the month in scripture. So the day is not in scripture, but others have figured out when they think that day is. So I'm going to say March, and the year was 445 B.C., So we now have the start of our prophecy, of this prophecy for when the Messiah is going to come, when the anointed one is going to come, we now have the starting point. We also know how long it's going to be, 69 sevens. Seven sevens plus 62 sevens is 69 sevens. That's 483 years. Okay, so if we have the starting point and we count off 483 years, we should get to when the Messiah came. Unfortunately, that simple calculation is a little off. It lands you around 39 AD, Hmm. which is a little bit late. And you have to go, hmm, what are we missing here? Hmm. All right. This is the kind of the complicated part, if the rest of this isn't complicated, but this is kind of the extra. I'm following. You're doing a great job. Mm -hmm. You're doing a great job. Go ahead. One of the issues that we have is that our years are 365 days per year, Mm -hmm. right? That's how long this earth takes to go around the sun. Whenever God speaks prophetically, he speaks in 360 day years. Okay. Now there's some ideas of why that is, but I don't want to go into the why that may be. I just want to state that that is how he speaks. So we see this in Daniel in several places. We also see this in the book of Revelation. So when it says that the, the Antichrist will rule for three and a half years, it's, it's 1260 days, it's time times, half a times, it's 42 months. It's these time phrases that God uses. The bottom line is this. God always speaks prophetically in 360-day years. Hmm. So what does that do for our prophecy? Well, that that really makes it all line up, doesn't it? It it makes it line up if we change from just speaking about years and we go to days. Sure. Okay, so if I said one year from now or I said 365 days from now, that would mean the same thing, right? For us today. Correct. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to convert the 483 years to days. Do you guys follow that? Yeah. All right. And if we follow this idea of days, we come up with 173,880 days. Mm -hmm. All right. So big number. 
But if you start in 445 B.C., March the 14th, Mm -hmm. and you add 173,880 days, you land on April 6th, 32 A.D., Sunday, April 6th, 32 A.D. Now, did anything significant happen on Sunday, April 6th, 32 A.D.? Well, that just happens to be the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and for the first time accepted the praise and adoration of Israel is as Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I think the prophecy in Daniel 9, the first part, says from the issuing of the decree, which is in Nehemiah chapter 2, 445 B.C., add 483 years or 173,800 some days, and you land on the exact day that Jesus, for the first time, accepts the adoration of the nation of Israel as the anointed one. This is so helpful because mm. I always thought they were making all these figures from the time of his birth. Me too. I, I was actually going to say that. Was that the day Jesus was born? Do we know this? But it was. Okay. That makes yeah. more sense what you're saying now. So now 32 AD. Remember, we do not know the exact timing of his birth, mm-hmm. but we can conclude the exact timing of his death. Mm. In fact, I do a whole study, a whole teaching on the events of the final week of Christ's life. And this 32 A.D. Um, year of his death, of his crucifixion, fits perfectly, not only with the Daniel 9 prophecy, but all of the events of his final week of his life, including the Passover celebration, which we know when we, we can know that the lamb was always sacrificed on Nisan the 14th, according to the instructions given to Israel in the Old Testament. And that means the Passover meal would have been that evening, which is the next day. That would have been the month of Nisan the 15th. Um, and it coincides precisely with the descriptions of the New Testament events of Jesus' final week of his earthly ministry leading up to his crucifixion, and, of course, then his resurrection, which we also know as is on a Sunday. So the Daniel 9 fits the Old Testament prophecies and the pattern of the Passover for that week in 32 AD, which matches the resurrection and the date and so on. It all fits together, and we don't have time to go into all that detail here. Maybe one of my favorite teachings, by the way, is this teaching of the final week of Christ to show that the crucifixion, I don't know if I want to open this can of worms right now, was not on Friday, Thursday, but was on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And that is so important when you look at the timing of the Passover, when they right. would sacrifice the lamb. Get a load of this. At the moment that all of Israel was sacrificing their Passover lambs on Thursday, Thursday, Nisan the 14th and 32 AD, the Lamb of God, late in the day, as Scripture says, late in the day, at that moment, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was on the cross being sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. What? I did not know this. Time. Are you kidding? No. it's It lines up perfectly. And so the crucifixion has to be on a Thursday. And when you remember the statement that is made in Matthew, when Jesus himself says, 
Just as Jonah was three days and yes. three nights yes. in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights <clears throat> in the heart of the earth, right? Right. I remember in junior high sitting at an Easter service at my church and hearing that and going, okay, let's see, Friday, Saturday, yeah, Sunday. He's using his fingers, audience. Yeah. I mean, we, we've all done this. Yeah. We've all yeah. done this. We've all done this. We need to hear this. Friday night, Saturday night. Oh, that's only two nights. He said three days and three nights. I can see the three yeah. days. I yeah. can't see the three nights. Oh, well. I'm just a guy sitting in the pews. I yeah. don't know anything. Well, they, d- they counted things differently back yeah. then. You know, yes. I mean, I would say to myself those things. But when you actually look at all of the information in the New Testament and you lay it out carefully, it actually all lines up perfectly to a Thursday crucifixion, including this point that mm-hmm. that is exactly when Israel was sacrificing their lambs. Yeah. That week, right there on that day, late in the afternoon as Jesus is on the cross. And by the way, it just happens to fit perfectly this prophecy from Daniel 9 that says that's the time that the Messiah, the anointed one, Mm. would come. And sure enough, he did. And he died and he rose again, proving who he was. He punched a hole in death. And now we no longer have a fear of death, right? Mm -hmm. He's conquered sin and death for us. Could there be another savior? Could there be a Messiah yet ahead? No. No, because the prophecy... This is like legal work here, what we're doing here today. It is. You're building a case uh, for a particular understanding and narrative from Scripture. You have to use Scripture to paint the picture. And I think one of the issues in Christianity is that we tend to rely on our denominational teaching. Mm. We tend to rely on an author or a book or a, a church or whatever. We are taught what we tend to know instead of, as Paul says, search the scriptures every day, mm. we need to know what we believe and why we believe it from scripture. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, a good place for us to kind of tie a bow here. What, what would be some life application takeaway from the book in general, the book, this book of Daniel and its prophetic content? I think we just touched on that a little bit, but go into that a little bit more for us. Yeah, I think one commentator once said that prophecy is like God's fingerprints on his word. Some will argue, how do you know this book is divine? How do you know it's from God? Well, there's lots of reasons, right? We have many external evidences, that um, historical evidences that the Bible is accurate, archaeological discoveries over and over and hundreds and hundreds of archaeological discoveries that have proved that the Bible is reliable and accurate. We have internal evidences. Uh, that we have a consistent message. You know, the Bible is 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40-some authors, and yet we have a consistent theme. There's no contradictions in Scripture. And God told us, this is my word. But some will say, well, you just can't. That's um, self-identifying. And it's like, well, that's odd, because most books you know who wrote it by who put their name on the cover, right? Mm -hmm. God put his name on the cover. But even more... Fulfilled prophecy, like the kind of prophecies that we see in Daniel. And remember, there's hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about kings and kingdoms and events and people and so on. Specifics. Very specific prophecies that have been fulfilled. Who is the only one who can tell us what's going to happen in the future? Only God. And when it comes to prophetic predictions, he's batting a thousand. He's 100% accurate. And so we didn't get to the last part of the Daniel 9 prophecy 
this future yet fulfilled prophecy, because we know that prophecy has been fulfilled precisely for those that have already been fulfilled, we can trust God for what he says is going to happen. Mm. And part of that is not only his plan for the end of the age, but even more personally, he says that we have an inheritance that can never spoil or fade, that he keeps it by his power until that day. God keeps us in his hands. We are in Christ's hands and nothing in all creation can separate us from that. And so we know that we know that we know mm. that we have eternal life. Wow. Wow. Amen. What a way to conclude Daniel. Yeah. We've we've been in Daniel the past, well, for months now, Bev and I. But we've this is our fourth episode in our Daniel series. And that is just such a beautiful tie-up. I mean, we have gone through Daniel's resolve to be godly, Daniel's um, just obedience in the midst of the most insane mm. circumstances that you could ever imagine, how he, in a lot of ways, kind of stood alone against these really powerful kings, and just his resolve to pray, to follow the Lord, and really also, I mean, there is a resolve to hope in this. We have, um, there's also a resolve of assurance that like, God keeps this for us. And so I can have hope for myself for the future. I can have hope for my country for the future. I can have hope for the world for the future because of all that God has done, honestly. So thank you for Amen. sharing that. And wow, I'm like, I think I need to go back and study oh, well, this more. You know what? <laughs> we are to be lifetime mm-hmm. students of God's word. Lifetime. Jeff, do you ever stop studying? Um, I, I love to dig into God's word. Um, I remember one person I was listening to at a time said, you know, scripture is infinitely deep and we'll have all eternity to study its nuances. Isn't that cool? It's really cool. And I found that to be true of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the almost 40 years now I've been teaching too. I never, people ask, do you run out of ideas? Never. I, I kind of chuckle. I go, Mm -hmm. (laughs) no, no, there's, it's endless. It's deep, 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 deep. And his treasure house is limitless. You can't you can't get in there and see it all. Even and in the one more lifetime. you know, the more you want to know. So the more questions you'll ask. Yes. And this really, listeners, I hope you've appreciated this little bit deeper dive here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thank Jeff so much for bringing yeah. it down to our level where we yeah. can understand yeah. it. Um, sometimes when you become so familiar with all these things, it can be easy to kind of just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, but to us, to us commoners <laughs> who haven't studied like you have. Like you have and yeah. so thank you for doing the body of Christ, this big I favor by doing the deep dive and helping to twist it around and, and get it so that we can see it and understand it for what really is happening instead of just reading it and glancing over it thinking I can't understand that Mm -hmm. you have broken it down for us and that is a treasure so thank you so much for your time today and for your your life and your ministry we're ever grateful mind if I pray yeah can I pray pray heavenly father thank you for opening your word to us today through Jeff I thank you father for his deep commitment to follow you and to study your word and to use his gifts to bless the church. So now, Lord, use this time, this teaching, to teach our hearts and to change us and to have a greater, higher view of who you are because of the book of Daniel. Help us, too, to be resolved as we live in this culture, very much like Babylon at times. Lord, help us to be resolved to walk in your ways. In Christ's name, 
Amen. 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 Well, it was great to be with you today, sisters. Join us in two Mondays on She is Becoming.